Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you uh, who have been here for a while, you may remember, or maybe not, that we're on a series uh, remembering lessons on the way to the cross. 
And a series like this is intended to be a Lenten series. We're not exactly a high church kind of place, but in a more high church tradition, you would uh, have a Lenten series and it would be announced and everybody would understand what it was. And, And this is our low church approach to a Lenten series, Lessons on the Way to the Cross. What were the lessons on the way to the cross? If I was teaching my class, I would ask you and we would do a review and we'd see how many you remember, but I'm not going to do that because I know none of you remember, so I'll tell you. The first lesson on the way to the cross was what I entitled the central truth. The central truth that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God. That was when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, on that foundation, I'm going to build my church. That was one lesson on the way to the cross. Another lesson on the way to the cross was that we're in a battle. You may remember that lesson. It came by way of a story, a story of a father who was concerned because his son was possessed by a demon and Jesus cast the demon out. And it was a reminder to us, that lesson, that we're in a battle Not a battle just of flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers. That's what it means to live in this present world as a Christian. The third lesson on the way to the cross was a question. Who's the greatest? And there we discovered what we have frequently referred to in Jesus' teachings, that the greatest is the one who's the lowest. The one who's the highest is actually the servant. And the fourth lesson on the way to the cross was forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential. Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Not a real number that Jesus was referring to. He was saying, forgive always. By the way, some of you were in the second service on that Sunday. And my challenge to us that Sunday was to close our eyes and quiet and see which face came to mind of a person we needed to forgive. And then go speak to that person. I I gave that challenge in the first service, and I gave it in the second. But you see, by the time I got to the second, I had done the same exercise. And already a face came to mind. So I promised the people in the second service that before I preached the next Sunday, I would go to that person. And I would let them know that I did. So just for those of you who might have heard that, I did that same week. And I'm glad I did, because forgiveness is absolutely essential. The last lesson before this one that we encountered was also a question. Where are your treasures? Jesus said, I want you to store up treasures in heaven. Not treasures on earth, because treasures on earth rust and mold and decay. 
but I want your true treasure to be outside this present world and in the heavenly realms. I want it to be in the invisible things. That's where your treasure ought to be. So we ask ourselves, where's our treasure? Today, I want to focus on the last lesson on the way to the cross, and it's, again, a question. And the question is, where's the kingdom? I mean, the kingdom of God. Jesus was, as some people have put it boldly, an absolute revolutionary. He was. He said things that were revolutionary. He said things that nobody else was saying. He taught things that none of the rabbis were teaching. He said things that took us outside the box, so to speak. And he did that all throughout his ministry. Most of the time it came by way of statements and teachings. Things like the first will be the last. That's counterintuitive. Or how about this? Jesus actually said, God loves sinners. And you're saying to yourself, is that news? Actually, it is. Or at least it was. Before Jesus said it, because the tradition said God loved the righteous. Jesus said, God loves sinners. He also said, I want you to love your enemies. You don't get any credit for loving those who love you. Love your enemies. As a matter of fact, I want you to love those people who despitefully use you or persecute you. That's revolutionary. He also said, in the kingdom of God... Rich and poor have reversed themselves. Those who are poor in spirit are actually rich. As a matter of fact, Jesus routinely identified the kingdom of God in the disenfranchised, poor economic status of people. This blew the mind of the disciples. They couldn't believe it. Jesus also reiterated over and over again that the most important things were not the things you could see, touch, feel, and use. The most important things were the invisible things, the kingdom of God. And then he made the most radical statement of all. He said, if you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to live, first you have to die. If you want to find your true self, oh, this is still so counterintuitive. If you want to find your true self, you've got to kill your true self. What does he mean by that? He means the self that is absolutely self-saturated and selfish and always about itself, you've got to stomp on that. You've got to kill it. And like a seed that dies and comes to life, your life will 
emerge, reemerge, find resurrection. Those are absolutely revolutionary, counterintuitive ideas that Jesus has taught. And now Jesus says, instead of just telling you these things, saying these phrases, what I want to do for the next few minutes, this is Matthew chapter 13, what I want to do for the next few minutes as he stood in a boat, probably sat in the boat, and his voice projected out to the crowd. I want to just tell you what the kingdom of God is like and where it is. And so this is how he did it. Instead of focusing, and I could, and it would take weeks to focus on just the passage we read, I want to focus on the entire passage of Matthew chapter 13. And here's what we learn from reading Matthew chapter 13. The first thing I want to emphasize that we learn is this, is that the kingdom is small but powerful. Relatively insignificant, visibly, but absolutely potent. And you know what Jesus does to illustrate that point? He uses two primary things. The first one he uses is a mustard seed. The tiniest seed known to people in that region. He says, take this tiny little mustard seed that you could hardly even see in your hand and plant it in the ground. And what happens when that seed is planted in the ground? It turns into the largest of trees. It towers over any number of other trees. It explodes from a tiny seed to a huge tree. And he also uses the story of yeast. He says, you take just a little bit of yeast and you knead it into the dough. And what does that little bit of yeast kneaded into the the dough do? It produces a huge loaf of bread. The bread rises not on its own accord, but because of the yeast, which is virtually invisible and very small compared to the rest of the dough. That, says Jesus, is what the kingdom of God is like. Like a tiny little seed that's planted and explodes. Like a little bit of yeast in the dough that makes a huge loaf of bread. It's small, but it's potent. The second thing Jesus says, the kingdom, where is it? It's among the weeds. Remember that parable? It's in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, a sower went out, a farmer went out, Actually, his servants went out and they sowed a field with wheat. And then they came back to the master and they said, look what happened. Why we were asleep when nobody was watching, an enemy of yours came in and sowed weeds among the wheat. And now the weeds are growing right next to the wheat. It's the beginning of the growth period. What should we do? Pull out the weeds? And Jesus said, no, no, no. The farmer said, don't, don't pull out the weeds. Just let them grow right next to the wheat. By the way, those kind of wheat weeds were almost the same as the wheat. Or they looked so until harvest time. So just, just let it all grow together. Because if you pull it up now, you might pull up some of the wheat too. But wait till the end when harvest comes and then we'll take 
the wheat out, and then we'll take the weeds out and we'll separate them. And we'll throw the weeds into the fire. Well, the analogy is is pretty clear. Right here, right now, in this present world, the wheat, the kingdom of God, is in the field. And right beside it are weeds. And sometimes it's hard to determine whether it's a weed or whether it's wheat. And Jesus says, don't pull it up. In other words, don't judge. Don't yank out what you think are the weeds. You just leave it alone. Because at the end of the age, I will determine what is weed and what is wheat. And in the end, the wheat will be restored. And the weeds will be destroyed. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I didn't intend to say this, but it comes to me and I can't help it. Did you know that one of the worst parts of the history of the church of Jesus Christ is not understanding this parable? For thousands of years, the church of Jesus Christ, those are our ancestors has reached down and done what God said is God's job alone. We've yanked out weeds and we've destroyed them. We've killed what we call heretics. We've destroyed people that we don't think look like the kingdom of God. Jesus very specifically said, don't do that. You just be the wheat. I'll take care of the rest. The third parable that Jesus speaks of uh, is a parable that's often called the pearl of great price, but there's also one in there right back to it, back to back, called the hidden treasure. And in that parable, Jesus basically says the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. As a matter of fact, he uses the story of a man who was out in a field and he comes across a hidden treasure that has been buried and nobody knew it was there. Wouldn't you love that? I mean, I used to dream about that as a kid. Um, I still kind of dream about it, I'm sorry. Um, but and it's never happened. And, and he comes across this, this treasure and the man sells everything he can that he has to buy that field because the treasure is so great. Another parable about the same idea is a man who's looking for great pearls. And he comes across the pearl of greatest price. The greatest pearl he's ever seen. And immediately he sells everything he has just in order to acquire that one pearl. The kingdom of God is like that, says Jesus. Or in other words, says Jesus, if you want to have the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you got to be willing to give everything up just so you can grasp the greatest treasure. Then, of course, um, there's the parable that we read just a few moments ago. It's the parable of the sower. Most people see in this parable God as the sower, sowing the seed. 
And you'll remember that in the parable, the farmer just takes seed out of his bag and throws it as he walks. It seems kind of random, but it's not. And as he throws the seed, some of it lands on the path. Let's put it this way. The analogy of seed on the path is like, well, a hard heart. It doesn't go down. It just lays there. And because the soil is not open to the seed, Satan, just like a bird, comes in and snatches it up. You've probably tried to plant seed before, right, in your yard? I know I have. I would like to know how in the world birds from 500 yards away can see the tiny seed that I planted. I don't usually think of birds as Satan. But in this parable, they are. And the next time I sow seed, I'm going to think of the birds as satanic. You have to cover up the seed immediately. You've got to put straw on it. You've got to put it under the soil. You've got to do something because the birds of prey are just going to pick it away. And Jesus says that kind of seed that falls on hard ground, which is hard hearts, Satan will just swoop in like a bird and pick it away because there's no possibility that it's really going to germinate. Now, before we assume that this is some sort of oh, demonic force that swoops in and everybody can see it and everybody notices it, Jesus tells us, I'll tell you what Satan is like. Satan is like busyness. Oh, that didn't sound like Satan. That just sounds like me. Because the busyness of life chokes out whatever possibility of germinating is, is there in front of it. And, and Satan is also, he's not just like busyness, he's, he's like the cares of the world. That's me too. The cares of the world, they just, they just push the seed aside and, and it disappears and it, it dries up and it's burned up. There's no room for the seed. You know, I know we're busy. And I know we've got a lot of cares in life. But if the cares of life keep us from truly following God, we're like the seed on the path. The second seed, it it falls on rocky soil. That's like shallow hearts. The rocky soil, it has some soil in it. It's in the cracks and the crevices of the rocks. And Actually, Jesus said it's like the kingdom of God is received with joy. Initially, the seed says, yes, I can grow here and, and takes off. But before long... The sun scorches it because it doesn't have any roots. 
persecution, to put it in personal terms, well, it just destroys that shallow heart. You know, um, if the disciples had known what was about to happen to them, they would have known exactly what this meant. Because early on in the history of the church, people, they heard the word and they were delighted and they received it in, but boy, did persecution come. We have no idea what it's like. Persecution came. They were hunted down. They were persecuted physically, emotionally, abused over and over again. And and some of those people... They just couldn't handle it. They broke away. The persecution and the trouble of life will be like that sun that scorches the wheat that has no, has no roots. Then there's also the, the seed that was sown among the thorny ground. It was... It was okay, it seemed, because there was soil there. But what was also there was thorns and, and weeds. And the cares of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, said Jesus, just choke the life out of it. I, I've told this story before, but I love it so much I want to tell it again. In South Florida, there is a thing that most people think of as a great big banyan tree. And if you didn't know any better, you would think it was a banyan tree, which it is to a certain extent. But you know what it actually is? It's a thing we call a strangler fig a bird will fly over the top of a sable palm, which captures a lot of moisture at the top. And that bird will drop a seed from a fig, and it will fall into that sable palm. And from the top, it will start to work its way down as a root wrapping around and around and around the tree until it chokes out its very life. I didn't know about this until uh, an, an older horticulturalist that I worked for as a kid told me, two great big trees in the middle of this property that we took care of on Jupiter Island. He said, um, those aren't real trees. I said, What? So no, it's it's a strangler fig. Said, you know how how you can tell? I said, no. He said, look on the inside. There's just this big hollow space there. It's where a sable palm used to exist. And he told me the story. I I didn't believe him. I was only 15 or something. So one day when he went home. I got an extension ladder 
And I went up to one of those trees and I climbed to the top of it just to see. And I looked down. And it was hollow in the middle, right where a palm tree used to be. See, Jesus says sometimes when the seed is sown, it falls in that kind of soil. And the cares of life just suck the life out of the wheat, and it dies. That's an alarming story, isn't it? It's alarming because none of us is susceptible from it. We're all susceptible to it. The cares of life, especially the deceitfulness of wealth, can just choke out our life. Then says Jesus, the good news is some of this seed, it lands on fertile soil. And this fertile soil, it produces a remarkable yield, up to a hundredfold. It's amazing what this seed does. But it's all about the soil. Now, you'll notice, for those of you who like to think about theological matters and problems and theology and stuff like that, two things going on here. So let me just acknowledge it and move on. There's the seed sown. That's God. There's the seed that's there. That's you. There's sovereignty. And then there's growth. There's sovereignty. And then there's free responsibility. Some of you look at it and say, well, i got to choose one or the other. Either God is sovereign and he elects those he chooses and we're in or not. Some of you want to say that's not right. God offers us grace and we receive grace and it's our responsibility to receive grace and, and to whom grace is given, more grace will be given. That sounds right. And here's the thing. They're both true. God is sovereign. He distributes the seed. It's God who produces the harvest. But at the same time, we've got a job to do. You can't, you can't just focus on one. You've got to keep them in tension. Jesus' words here are really both a description of what happens and a warning of what's going to happen in the end and a word of encouragement to those who are listening, those who have ears to hear. God spreads seed liberally. We should do the same and be hopeful. We shouldn't say to ourselves, should I waste time on that person? No. Spread the seed. Also, these parables remind us that we never know where the kingdom of God actually is. Sometimes it looks like it's not the kingdom of God, and maybe it is. The kingdom of God exists where there are receptive hearts. So don't pull up the weeds. Don't try to play God. Just share the good news with the seed. That's our job. 
Matter of fact, that's our only job. We also notice that the seed is really inconspicuous and quiet in these parables. It looks small and inconspicuous and, and you know, seeds grow quietly. They don't make a lot of noise. They just come up. Wow. Be encouraged. Be encouraged because when you throw the seed, when you plant even one seed, it can be a mustard seed. It can be a pinch of yeast. You have no idea what God is going to do with that powerful, potent seed. It could grow quietly, but exponentially. Be encouraged. You know, I I especially want to say that for most of you who don't have my job. Because I get to do the religious stuff all the time. I get to stand up here Sunday after Sunday and do what I think is proclaim the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Somehow, he seems to block my mistakes. But no matter, I try to proclaim the Word of God. And it really is rewarding to think that when you proclaim the Word of God, there may be hundreds of people whose lives can be affected. But for the rest of you, that's not a part of your job, is it? Your job is going to work. And probably, you're with people, most of whom don't believe. And you're not preaching sermons. I hope you're not. Don't do that. It won't work. You're just scattering seed. Sometimes really quietly, unpretentiously. But that's God's work. And he'll reproduce it. So be encouraged. Another thing we learn from these parables is that Satan is out there and he wants to destroy the kingdom of God. We're in a battle. And in that battle, again, we need to remind ourselves that the final judgment is going to come. But let God do the judging. And finally, you know what you do when you're a farmer? You plant the seed. And then you wait. You don't dig it up to check the roots. You don't pull on the top of the crock to make it grow faster. You wait. So plant the seed and wait. And God will do the rest. Wow, that's encouraging, isn't it? There's one last thing to be said, just quickly. When Jesus tells any story, he actually gives an invitation. And his invitation is, you want to be a part of this? Then join me. Join me in this work. Are you willing? Willing to surrender? Willing to give it all up? 
willing to believe in the impossible, willing to invest in the invisible and watch the kingdom of God grow. That invitation is open to all of you. By the way, I don't know what your heart's like. But I do know one thing. Because you're here today, some seeds been spread. And if that seed sounds remarkable and you want to be a part of that kingdom of God, I would love to talk to you about that. Or would any other pastor on staff. So following the worship service, if you want to talk about being a part of the kingdom of God, maybe if you want to talk about renewing your commitment to being a servant of God, we can talk to you. We can pray with you. That's what we do. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us such encouragement in the scripture. It's new every morning. Every time we look at it, we see something that we didn't see before, not because it wasn't there, but because our eyes couldn't see, and, and you opened the eyes of our hearts. So we pray uh, in these next few moments as we sing this final song, you will once again open the eyes of our hearts. Lead us in the direction you wish for us to go. Make us willing to follow you in whatever way you call us. Allow us, Lord, to be a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves, this thing called the kingdom of God. And we'll thank you. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.